uh, this morning, uh, I want to talk about the gospel in marriage. When I had the realization uh, a while back when I, that I needed to start teaching, I made the re resolution that I needed to speak on topics that were not only beneficial to the congregation here, but also beneficial to uh, my children and their future. And Lizzie and I's children are, are getting older, growing quick, uh, maturing into some of the greatest people I know. Uh, they've taught me how I need to be a father that I need to be, and more importantly, how to be the spiritual leader I need to be at, the, at home. So this morning, I hope that I can teach something that uh, to the congregation, whether you're married, whether you're not married, preparing for marriage, or still in the dating phase of your life, I hope that this is beneficial to you in some manner. And when I decided to teach on this topic or this subject, please know that I have nobody in mind at all whatsoever when I decided to teach this. I think this is just beneficial. Um, it's directed to us as a congregation, as a body of Christ, understanding what is taught in the Bible. And I'm not going to claim to be an expert on the, on the matter as well. So today we're going to hear and learn about what Jesus teaches us about marriage and divorce. Jesus, in these passages that we will consider, speaks in a way that is very different from what the world teaches us today. And as a church, as a congregation, we desperately need to hear and heed what Jesus says and help each other live accordingly. If we don't talk about Jesus' teaching on marriage and divorce, we won't be much help to those around us who may be going through the sad state of divorce. We won't understand or be able to help them. And sometimes I sadly think that this... Uh, uh, if this happens in the church, we need to be able to be prepared to help those who are in need. Because if we don't, it's very possible that people who could be going through this could be in a very, very hard struggle, uh, feeling alone and maybe even ashamed of the struggle of divorce. So we as Christians have a responsibility. We have multiple responsibilities and we're going to go over those real quick the first one is is we must care for one another with concern this is what it means to be brothers and sisters in christ we don't just sit here next to each other in these pews and not acknowledge some of the hardships that all of us may be going through that's not what the church is we care for each other we look out for each other we serve and help each other and that's what a family is that's what a family does this means that if there is a couple uh, in, in the congregation or a family that is struggling in their marriage, even contemplating divorce, we don't isolate or ignore that struggle. We need to be a church and congregation that cares for each other with concern. Also, secondly, we must encourage each other with the truth, with the gospel. We don't just share our thoughts and opinions with each other. We share God's word. In the context of our uh, concern, we open the Bible together. We help each other see what God says about the subjects or the, the topics that we are going through. You know, our opinions and our thoughts are not what we are supposed to counsel on. We counsel on the Word of God. Then third, also as we encourage each other with truth, we must also comfort one another with love. What we're about to talk about in the next few minutes is going to bring all sorts of emotions to the surface. In some people, maybe nobody here, but, uh, but please know that even the mention of the word 
divorce could potentially open a wound. Or there may be an open wounds right now as we sit here and, and, and learn. So I want to be sensitive to all of that. There are so many emotions that so many people experience or may be experiencing right now, whether it be sorrow or loss or disappointment, anger, regret, guilt, maybe all of the above, and maybe so much more. So like I said before, my goal is to be sensitive today to all of those emotions. The last thing I want to do is to make wounds worse. I want to carefully apply the healing words of the gospel to those wounds so that we can see the beautiful, transforming, and internal application of the gospel for marriage and divorce. I want us to be helped as a congregation. Whatever the case may be, it doesn't have to be the subject of marriage in itself or divorce in itself. It could be any topic that may affect uh, any of us here. We want to be a congregation that comes alongside one another with love, hope, help, strength, and healing that are found in Jesus alone. We also want to care for children who are affected by marital struggle and divorce that, that may be along with it in such a way that those children will be drawn to Jesus and not pushed away from Jesus. So I want to say that to every spouse who may be struggling in their marriage right now or who has experienced, experienced divorce or to every child who has been affected by divorce, to anyone who has been who has done anything in marriage that you may be ashamed of or whose spouse or parent does something that maybe you are ashamed of, there's no shame here in this congregation. We are all sinners. We have all gone through struggles. We have all sinned. So we can't be ashamed if we have problems in our life and we need to get some help from um, fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. None of us are better than one or the other. So this means that when we hurt, we hurt with those who hurt, we weep with those who weep, and we love as Jesus loves us. That's what it says in Romans 12, 15. This is our responsibility before God and before each other as a congregation. In light of this responsibility, our lives are to be a reflection of Jesus' love in a world where marital struggle, struggle and divorce are realities. Quite frankly, every single marriage is under attack and if we don't think that ours is, we are fooling ourselves. There is an adversary who wants to break up what God has designed. And the devil is alive and he's, and he's strong and he knows what to go after. The Bible doesn't say to ignore the devil and he'll flee from you. He tells you to resist the devil and he will flee from you. So let's hear, let's read, uh, we're going to go to Matthew 19 and we're going to read verses 1 through 12. And it says there, Now it came to pass, when Jesus had finished these sayings, that he departed from Galilee and came to the region of Judea beyond the Jordan. And great multitudes followed him, and he healed them there. The Pharisees also came to him, testing him, and saying to him, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for just any reason? And he answered and said to them, Have you not read that he who made them at the beginning made them male and female? And said, For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So then they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore what God has joined together, let not man separate. Then said to him, Why then did Moses command to give a certificate of divorce and to put her away? And he said to them, Moses, because of the hardness of your hearts, 
permitted you to divorce your wives, but from the beginning it was not so. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality, and marries another, commits adultery. And whoever marries her, who is divorced, commits adultery. His disciples said to him, If this is the case of the man with his wife, is it better not to marry? But he said to them, All cannot accept this saying, but only those to whom it has been given. For there are eunuchs who are born from this, from their mother's womb, and there are eunuchs who are made eunuchs by men. And there are eunuchs who, gave, who have made themselves eunuchs for the kingdom of heaven's sake. He who is able to accept it, let him accept it. So we're going to consider three truths that we can find in these passages today. Truth number one is that God created marriage. Jesus starts with that truth, and that's a good place to start. When asked about marriage and divorce, he says in verses 4 and 5, Have you not read that he who made them at the beginning made them male and female, and said, For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So the man and woman are no longer two, but they become one in marriage. Take, Jesus takes us all the way back to the beginning of the Bible in Genesis 1, where God created man and woman and brings them together in his union that he calls marriage. You know, God didn't have to create it this way as men and women. He didn't have to create marriage in this way as one man and one woman coming together as one flesh in union, but he did. And by doing so, God defines marriage from the beginning for our good. I trust that we all know and, and understand that we, real, we live in a country um, that denies that truth. Uh, for a long, long time, all civilizations have believed that, a marriage, that a, a marriage is between a man and a woman, permanently. But about 25 years ago in this country, that was reiterated, uh, uh, that definition was reiterated by our government and it went across party lines. It was called the Defense of Marriage Act. But uh, as we all know, about six years ago or so that the Supreme Court struck down verbiage in that Defense of Marriage Act that completely changed the definition of what marriage is. Even prominent uh, profession Christian leaders through the nation, uh, uh, one actually said, and I quote, this is a huge moment when lots of us realize that old the old way of seeing things doesn't work. That's a pretty scary thought when you have someone who professes to be a, a Christian leader says that. In our country, even those who are professing to be Christians say that. You know, they say that uh, 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 the old way, the, God that, the way that God defined marriage, that doesn't work anymore. You know, that's pretty audacious. That's appalling to come along thousands and thousands of years after God created and define marriage 2,000 years after Jesus reiterated the definition and then in the last six years we say that we've discovered ways that we don't think God's plan works. Especially when somebody says it while they're a Christian. So from the beginning of creation God has defined marriage for our good so let's trust and submit to his word and see the beauty of God's definition of marriage. One man, one woman both masterfully molded in the image of their maker with equal dignity, equal dignity and complementary roles coming together to form one flesh. We don't need any court of government to define marriage for us. 
God has already done that for us. His definition cannot be eradicated by a vote by men. The supreme judge of creation has defined marriage, and we will gladly trust it and submit to his word. So not only God has God defined marriage for it, but he designed marriage for the display of the gospel. Now, when we think about this, this is on a whole other level that we can think about uh, marriage. So God's design for marriage uh, as the marriage between one man and one woman is not random at all. God is not random. Everything that God has done and God has gave us in this, in this book is intentional. Every single thing. There's even a song out, a Christian song, that, that's called uh, uh, The Reckless Love of God. God is not reckless. God has everything in his design and everything is for a design. So we need to understand that. When God made man and woman, he, he brought them together, bringing them together in marriage. He's not rolling the dice or flipping a coin or, or making just a, 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 a whim of a decision. There is a plan why he created marriage between man and woman. It's so important. Some people view marriage as merely means of self-fulfillment or self-satisfaction. Or, or if we say, you know, we're just trying to find a mate who completes us. That view of marriage in and of itself it, it is not correct. The Bible teaches us that God designs marriage not as an end but as a means to an end. God designed marriage to be a picture that points to something far greater. If we read Ephesians 5 verses 31 through 32 it says there, for this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. The purpose of marriage is to point us to Christ. Let's follow the same uh, uh, logic here. Marriage is a picture of Christ and the church on the canvas of this earthly world. Ephesians 5.25 says, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her. So a husband is designed by God to be a picture to the world of Christ's love for the church, a selfless, sacrificial love. Also in Ephesians 5, verses 20, 24, it says, Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. A wife is designed by God to be a picture of the world of the church love, church's love for Christ, a joyful, submissive love. When this happens in marriage... We have a biblical marriage and unity, and we're both husband and wife, spouses are working together. The world will see a picture of the gospel of Christ. Now, when I use the word gospel today, this morning, I want us to understand, of course, what that means. I'm sure most of us here do, but the gospel is what brings us together today. You know, we may, some people may wonder why in the world does that church on Plans Road meet every Sunday morning, every Sunday evening, and every Wednesday? And what about all the other congregations across the whole world? Well, the answer is the gospel. That's the reason why. The gospel is the good news that every one of us has been created by God for a relationship with God and the one true king over all creation. But we have all sinned against God, not just in our understanding of marriage sometimes, but in so many other ways we have sinned against God. So God has become, God has also come to us in the person of Jesus. 
He is the long-awaited king in the flesh who came to live a perfect and powerful life of no sin. Then he laid down his life to pay the price for our sin. But the good news of the gospel keeps getting better. Three days later, Jesus rose from the dead. He rose from the grave in victory over sin and over death so that anyone anywhere who obeys the gospel of Jesus can and will be forgiven from their sin and be brought back into a relationship with God as long as we remain faithful to him. So to be a follower of Jesus means that we need to renounce all other gods and idols of our life and believe that Jesus is the Son of God and be baptized for the remission of our sins. I don't want us to miss what this means. God loves you and I and desires a relationship with us. God has made that possible through Jesus. And at the end of our sermon here, we're going we're gonna to offer an invitation for any of those who need to be uh, baptized and, or confess any public sins they need to um, to, make, to be reconciled with the right relationship with God. And when we do that, when we are baptized, we realize that the ultimate meaning of a marriage, that is the ultimate meaning of marriage, to show a picture to the world, marriage and mission are connected because God has designed marriage for the display of the gospel. So we need to love, we need to show God's love to the world by just our simple marriages. A husband should love his wife by laying down his own life for her, to lift her up and honor her, her dignity and her beauty. And we gladly submit to follow Jesus, not because we have to, but because we want to. That's what, how, this is how a wife designed to love her husband. You know, have any, of, have any of us met a wife who is not willing to completely and utterly follow her husband if her husband shows that he is selfless and sacrificing to her. A wife is going to do that every single time. We need to rec realize that we are representing to the world what Jesus is. So, husbands, if we are harsh with our wives, we will show the world that Jesus is harsh with his people. If we ignore our wives' needs, we are telling the world that Jesus ignores our needs. If we are unfaithful to our wives, we are showing the world that Jesus is unfaithful to us. Husbands, what a picture of Jesus, what picture of Jesus are you showing the world? On the other side, wives, what picture are you showing the world what it means to follow Jesus? If you disrespect your husband, you show the world that Jesus is not worthy of respect. If you do not pursue your husband, you show the world that Jesus is not worth pursuing. And if you're unfaithful to your husband, you show the world that Jesus is not satisfying enough for his people. So God designed marriage for the display of the gospel. So we need to show that to the world. Marriage, by God's definition and design, is so important. This is why Jesus says what he did in Matthew 19 and 6. It says there, Therefore, what God has joined together, let not man separate. Truth number two, God hates divorce. So God created marriage, and with our, we want to notice that he also hates divorce at the same time. This is harsh language, but this is language that we can read in Malachi chapter 2, verse 16. It says there, For the Lord God of Israel says that he hates divorce, for it covers one's garment with violence, 
says the Lord of hosts. It makes sense, doesn't it? If God created marriage, the marriage union, to display the gospel and his love for the church and the union between Jesus and the church, it makes sense that God would hate divorce to break up that union. So we need to understand that. So this leads to the question the Pharisees were asking about Jesus and Moses and the law and the Old Testament. This whole conversation starts uh, when uh, these teachers asked, Is it lawful for a man to divorce one's wife for any reason? We find that in verse 3 of, of Matthew 19. And Jesus answered by pointing to God's definition and design for marriage. Then in, the, in verse 7, the Pharisees point to allowances for divorce way back in the Old Testament in Deuteronomy 24, where Moses gave instructions for certificates of divorce. But that's when Jesus says in verse 8 of our reading, Moses, because of the hardness of your hearts, permitted you to divorce your wives, but from the beginning it was not so. In other words, divorce was definitively not God's original design. Divorce is always a result of sin. Always. Think about it. If there's no sin in the world, no, no hardness in our hearts, there would be no divorce. But there is sin in the world. That is a fact. Mar marriage is a uniting together of two sinners. People wonder why so many marriages struggle. It's because we're, we're sinners. Sin's in the world. Uh, experts can say that you know there are communication problems or compatibility problems or financial problems or sexual problems or personality problems. You know those those aren't necessarily the issue, but they could be problems in our marriage. But the issue is sin. The major problem with every marriage is sin in our lives. I don't want to seem too basic about that, but I think we tend to overlook sometimes the simplicity of the gospel and what God teaches us. We tend to go over all kinds of books. We can read books, we can go to conferences, we can go to seminars, we can see experts on marriage. Yet, as long as they try to make things work from an external standpoint, they're, they're going to be basically putting a band-aid on a broken bone. The healing has to come in from Jesus, from what the gospel. We have to look to the gospel on how to heal broken marriages. You know, Frank, Frank taught on this and, and, and uh, somewhat touched on it. There's a war going on within our hearts, you know, the, the Christian warfare that we go through. Well, this is part of it. You know, the internal battles that we go through with sin and with the devil, this is part of that spiritual warfare. And that's what Jesus is saying here. The last place we want to look when it comes to problems in our marriage is within our own selves. You know, if we have a hard heart, we don't want to, it's hard to self-reflect if we're having issues. You know, so we want to make sure that we go to the Bible and read how to help our marriages in any way. While there are so many situations where more fault clearly lies on one side than the other, the fact still remains. Both husband and wife are sinners. Divorce is always the result of sin, and divorce sometimes in itself is a sin as well. And we're going we're gonna to touch on that here soon. This is true in two ways. 
First, God hates divorce, and there are only a couple exceptions where it is uh, uh, allowed. And we'll talk about that in a minute. But, on both, but outside of these uh, uh, reasons or, or, or uh, exceptions, uh, divorce in and of itself is a sin against God outside of those parameters. It's a critical for us to hear in a country where in culture today where it is so easy to get a divorce. All that's needed is a statement of irreconcilable differences. Um, I, I even learned while putting this letter, this uh, sermon together that, that you can get a divorce online or, or even on an app on your phone with a pretty simple touch of a couple buttons. It is so readily available and accessible to the world. It is such a common practice. It, it's just scary. So this is why we desperately need to stop and ask, why, when and why does God allow divorce? And yes, he does. Then, secondly, even when God allows divorce, we also need to, be, we need to be careful and be aware that while there may be some who may or may not be going through divorce or going through a struggle, that sin during those times can be a lot higher. We can have a lot more temptation in when somebody is going through divorce. It's strong. The, the temptations are strong. So we need to be sensitive to that if there's anybody who may be going through any type of struggles. It's very hard to go through a divorce process, even one for biblical reasons, without committing sin in the process. So we just need to be extremely careful if we're in that situation. I don't presume to know the depth of hurt or anger with a sense of betrayal and all the other emotions that go with divorce. I don't presume to know any of that. But I don't do know, as we mentioned before, that there is an adversary who wants to take those emotions and turn them into malicious speech and a deep bitterness that will eat at one's soul. So, we need to guard against those temptations. It's hard to do that. Actually, it's impossible to do without Jesus. But Jesus is with us. The one who has betrayed death, who was betrayed to his death, is with us every step of the way. So he knows how we feel, and he wants to help. Divorce, like we said, is often sinful in many ways. That brings us to our third truth that we find. And that is that God regulates divorce. So when is divorce non-sinful? When does God allow it? As a result of sin in this world and the hardness of our hearts, Jesus teaches that God regulates divorce. This means that although divorce was not part of God's design for marriages, like we find in, in Deuteronomy 24, which is referenced again in Matthew 19 and in 1 Corinthians 7, it makes it clear that the Bible acknowledges the reality of divorce itself. These passages, God gives us certain, in these passages, God gives us certain regulations concerning divorce. These are regulations and not suggestions. So we need to understand that. This is not giving us, this is not God giving us truths that are open to be added or to be taken away from by a congregation, by a teacher, by an evangelist, by a counselor, by a lawyer or anybody else living here in this 21st century. This is God's design. God doesn't give suggestions to be considered. He gives us commandments to be obeyed for our good. 
in his word, God gives us two potential biblical uh, uh, reasons that one may go through the, through the divorce uh, process. One is here in Matthew 19, the other is in 1 Corinthians 7. So here in Matthew 19, we have a conversation that Jesus is having with the Pharisees who were trying to trap Jesus using a quote from the Old Testament in Deuteronomy 24. Uh, there, were, there, there was different schools of thought uh, in the first century uh, Judaism about what might be allowed for divorce. One school of thought believed that a man could divorce his wife if she had committed any type of immodest behavior or sexual immorality. And the other school of thought, which was more dominant and more prevalent, uh, uh, was saying that divorce was possible whenever a wife did anything displeasing to her husband. So they thought that. They, they thought that if, if, if I just didn't like something that Lizzie did, whether it was biblical, you know, a sin or not, if I just didn't like that she didn't... Uh, do whatever it may be, the Jews, Judaism thought that they could divorce on those grounds. And that was not right. So that led to men basically divorcing their wives for, wives for any reason that they could find. And I think this is what the Pharisees were thinking when they said to Jesus, I say, and Jesus says to them, I say to you, whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery. So in Matthew 19, Jesus puts one puts one reason for divorce on the table and that is adultery which we find in Matthew 19 there's some debate on, on what that means because the word for sexual immorality that Jesus uses here it's the Greek word por porneia which is a word that refers to all kinds of sexual sin that we can find in the Bible but in the context of the passage where Jesus has referred to this one flesh a union of marriage, the picture seems to be of the spouse who violates that one flesh union. It's a very serious violation. Not only against the spouse, but against God. You know, uh, adultery, in defiance of God, places another person within that union of one man and one woman. Adultery demeans, shames, and abandons a husband or a wife for selfish gain. Such uh, sexual immorality, immorality, Jesus says, is extremely serious and is grounds for divorce. Now, adultery was punishable by stoning in the Old Testament, and we see stern warnings throughout the New Testament and scriptures against adultery. And I want to take a, a second here in a couple minutes and... and and um, talk to anybody who may have somehow flirted with adultery, thought about adultery, or stepped an inch towards adultery, or may be on the verge of adultery right now. And yes, that includes viewing pornography. We need to understand the danger that we are in. If, an, if adultery is anywhere near you right now, even in the recesses of your mind, and the ways that you have tried to cover up, we're going to look at Proverbs chapter 7. And this describes a man that was wandering after a woman who was not his wife. And it says, beginning in verse 21 of Proverbs, it says, With her enticing speech, she caused him to yield. With her flattering 
lips, she seduced him. Immediately he went after her, as an ox goes to the slaughter, or as a fool to the correction of the stocks. Till an arrow struck his liver, as a bird hastens to the snare, he did not know it would cost his life. Now, therefore, listen to me, my children. Pay attention to the words of my mouth. Do not let your heart turn aside to her ways. Do not stray into her paths, for she has cast down many wounded, and all who were slain by her were strong men. Her house is the way to hell, descending to the chambers of death. The word of God is extremely clear. And if you're flirting with adultery in any way, whatever that may look like, run from it. Get away from it. It says here we're like, a, like an ox going to the slaughter. We're going to our own death. Also Proverbs verse, or chapter 6 verse 32 states, Whoever commits adultery with a woman lacks understanding. He, does so, he who does so destroys his own soul. We don't sometimes realize how dumb we can be sometimes when we're flirting with sin. It is a dumb move. We're walking to our death and we're convincing ourselves sometimes that it's good. We need to run from it. We don't rationalize it, we run. We don't flirt with it, we flee. Back in Matthew 19, we need to notice that Jesus does not say when adultery occurs that divorce is certain or required. Instead, Jesus says divorce is permittable in this situation. The Pharisees were searching for circumstances in which it would be possible for them to divorce. Jesus is saying in his response that we're not looking for reasons to divorce. We're longing for reconciliation to occur. The goal here is not to look at the letter of law for a loophole to allow divorce. We can't do that. That's not how we should look at the word of God. We don't look for loopholes. Jesus and God hate divorce. So we should do all we can to keep the union of marriage together. Whatever we can do. Now, notice the teaching in, in, in Matthew 19 comes right on the heels of the parable of the unforgiving servant. In Matthew 18, where Jesus taught his disciples to forgive extravagantly. So I think the implication is clear. We need to all work toward reconciliation. We need to pray towards redemption and restoration. Not because it's easy in any manner. But because that is what God and Jesus want us to do. They want us to reconcile and do everything we can to save marriages. It's not to shame anyone or to make anyone feel guilty who divorces after adultery. That's not the point of the lesson. Jesus clear, clearly here makes that uh, regulation and he said the same thing in Matthew 5. So divorce is possible after adultery, but it is not inevitable. Not in any means. We can say, you know, we can, we can say, how can a, a marriage survive after uh, adultery has been committed? Well, the answer is the gospel of Jesus. He tells us to forgive. You know, that is, of course, if, if the, the innocent party is willing to forgive, and, or, or actually they're more commanded to forgive regardless, but if the, willing, or the innocent party is willing to continue the marriage, they are uh, permitted to do so. But they are also permitted to go through the... the, the through divorce if they want to as well. So, um, we can only reconcile our marriages through the power of Jesus with his forgiveness and his care even when we are hurt. And this is what Christ did for us on the cross. He did that for us. 
You know, if you think about it, we, we have committed adultery against Jesus by our sins. That's what our sins are. So we need to be understanding that Jesus has forgiven us for so many things. I want to be careful here. Um, there are so many different circumstances and so many different scenarios that I don't claim to even touch because there's so many different things that we can um, look at. There's circumstances when one spouse may commit adultery once and realize their sin before God and their spouse confess their sin and hate it and turn from it. And there's also those who, you know, uh, perpetually commit adultery or perpetually sin against their wives um, or sorry just because they got caught. You know, that's not, that's not turning from sin. So we need to be careful not to speak definitively where Jesus has not spoken definitively. When it comes to adultery, divorce is possible, but it is not inevitable. Even though we're in Matthew 19, I want to consider another uh, um, potential reason for divorce, and that is in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. And before I go any further, I want to clarify a couple things. Um, 1 Corinthians 7 is not a patches that we can use for grounds for divorce. The only grounds for divorce is adultery. In the passage in 1 Corinthians 7, it's dealing with a believing spouse and an unbelieving spouse. Just because you have an unbelieving spouse does not mean that is grounds for divorce. So we need to understand that. There is no adultery present. The only biblical grounds that we have for divorce is what was described in Matthew 19. And this passage in 1 Corinthians 7 is stating that if one of the spouses is an unbeliever and chooses to leave the believing spouse, the believing spouse is free from the bondage of that marriage. We cannot divorce based on the fact that a spouse is an unbeliever. That is why it is so important for all those who have not been married or are in the process of being married to make sure that everybody is on the same page with their commitment to Jesus. I was reading some, some facts and some statistics on, on the, uh, the rate of divorce between those who are unbelievers, those who are uh, one spouse may, may be a believer, the other is not a believer, or they're both not believers. The, the rate for those who both believe and are committed to Jesus was about 30 to 40% lower than those who may have been one a believer and the other not a believer. So Jesus creates the, the marriage union and he strengthens it. It says in verse 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 12 through 14, it says there, If any brother has a wife who does not believe and she is willing to live with him, let him not divorce her. And a woman who has a husband who does not believe, if he is willing to live with her, let her not divorce him. For the unbelieving husband is sanctified by the wife, and the unbelieving wife is sanctified by the husband. Otherwise, your children would be unclean, but now they are holy. We don't have time to dive into all these passages, but the bottom line is that the believing spouse should not initiate divorce if they are with an unbelieving spouse. But they should stay married, working and praying and loving toward that unbelieving spouse's salvation. But if we look at in verse 15 here, but if the unbeliever departs, let him depart. 
A brother or sister is not under bondage in such cases, but God has called us to peace. In other words, if an unbelieving spouse chooses to abandon a believing spouse despite that believing spouse's love for them, then divorce is possible in that situation. In other words, don't initiate that kind of divorce. But if, the, if it is forced upon you by abandonment from the unbelieving spouse, God says, let him depart. Again, that is what the Word of God says. Here in the Bible, we have two biblical reasons where divorce may occur, and that is adultery and abandonment. Any divorce outside of these reasons, taught by God's Word, leads to adultery in remarriage. So we need to be careful on that too, and we're not going to get into the remarriage uh, uh, topic this morning that is for another time. So practically speaking, that means that the non-adulterous spouse in the first exception for divorce can remarry according to these passages. But outside of this, a man or a woman is not free to remarry. Such remarriage would be adultery itself. Now, before I move on uh, any further, I want to address one other thing um, that's not mentioned here specifically, but um, we need to talk about, and that is abuse in marriage. Um, no spouse or child should be in a home with somebody who jeopardizes their safety. We, as a congregation, if there's somebody who may be going through that situation right now, please seek somebody out. Whether it be a brother or sister here, or whether it needs to be the civil authorities, please do so. We must, as all of us, take abuse extremely seriously. We must, we must um, go and help each other. I mean, we touched on it at the beginning of this uh, sermon here. We need to help those who are in need. Without going into further depth, you know, when a spouse continues in abuse, it, it becomes clear that that spouse is not actually a follower of Jesus. Um, and that begins to kind of show a picture of abandonment that we see in 1 Corinthians 7. So God creates marriage, God hates divorce, and God regulates divorce. So I, I realize that this subject could um, bring old and new wounds to the surface, and I realize these are even hard, work, hard words to hear in the Bible, but, but we see why God addresses divorce in this manner. The reason why God is so serious in his word about marriage covenants with each other is because God is so serious about his marriage covenant with us and with his church. That's the seriousness of it. Particularly if, we, if anybody has gone through these difficulties in marriage for a variety of reasons, know that as a follower of Christ or, or as a part of the body of Christ, men and women, we are his bride, his body, and that is the church. Whether you are the offended spouse or even the offending spouse, if you have sinned, there's still hope in Jesus. We need to be reminded, too, that Jesus is always forgiving and faithful to us. Even if the marriage covenant in your life has been broken in the past because of sin or spouse's sin, know, also know this, that the ultimate marriage covenant is still firmly intact. And that is the marriage that Jesus has with his church. 
Jesus will never commit adultery against any of us. He will never abandon any of us. No matter what happens in this world, he will never abandon us. As a follower of Jesus, the reality is you, me, and us, his church, we can count on his love forever. And that is another great picture of the gospel of Jesus. So what does that mean for our lives? Knowing that there are all kinds of different circumstances, I just want to uh, uh, start to wrap things up with uh, uh, a few things that we, that we see in God's word. If you are single, a brother or sister, if you are single, maximize your singleness in the advancement of the gospel. It's interesting that in both Matthew 19 and 1 Corinthians 7, uh, we see both Jesus and Paul commending singleness for the spread of the gospel, for the spread of the kingdom. Jesus says in verses 11 and 12 here that singleness for the sake of the kingdom is a good thing. It's not that marriage is bad, but marriage is not best for all people. Just not the case sometimes. Uh, Jesus wants the most out of you no matter what. No matter what situation, Jesus wants your maximum. You know, Jesus wasn't married either, and he was the greatest man that ever lived. He was never married. From what we can read in the Bible, he's never married. So if you're single, the takeaway from Matthew 19 is that as long as you are single, maximize your work for the kingdom of God. If you are married, love your spouse in a way that portrays the gospel. Let the word of God drive you. If you're a husband or wife, love your spouse better today than you ever have in the past. This week, do it. This is the word of God. Love our wives to us husbands with sacrificial love. Also, we need to take responsibility for the glory of Christ in our marriages. You know, wives, respect your husbands and, and, and honor Christ through gracious support of his leadership in ways that shows the world the picture of the gospel. Um, there's also marriages that, you know, there may not be adultery or abandonment in, but there's also some pretty strong disappointment in marriages, uh, whether it be from neglect or disappointment or the spouse is not taken care of properly, or there's loneliness. We could probably fill in the blank for whatever description we want to give. Um, and, and some people get discouraged and think, there's no way that this is God's design for us. And it's not, that's, you know, there's, there is a better design, and God gives it to us in his word. So if we have are having issues in our marriage, the answer is right here for us. It, it's, it's really clear. So we want to, as Christians, we want to um, be Christians that help each other love our spouses in a way that portrays the gospel. If we ever find ourselves considering divorce, remember the power of Jesus' love. Jesus can heal all things. If we ever start to consider it, we need to ask ourselves first, do we have biblical grounds? If we don't, then... Uh, we need to urge ourselves to consider how in the context of your marriage and with the help of brothers, sisters and with the word of God that that conflict can be reserved or uh, resolved. Then if there is biblical grounds for divorce, we still need to consider the preciousness and power of the gospel with a view towards reconciliation in marriage. And if that's possible and it's only possible with the power of the gospel, but the gospel can even change the hardest of hearts and restore the redeemed in even the most difficult circumstances and difficult marriages. 
If you're divorced for a biblical reason and single, maximize your work for God in your singleness. If you were the non-adulterous spouse in the first uh, uh, that we talked about in Matthew 19 or the believing spouse in the second of uh, uh, what we read about in, in 1 Corinthians 7, then let God's word encourage you to rest in the singleness God has given you at this time in your life. If you are divorced for an unbiblical reason and single, you need to get right with God. You need to repent of your sins and confess them to God and then work to glorify God while you are single. Again, there are so many different circumstances that we cannot begin to touch on. And I don't, like I said before, I don't claim to understand the full depths of everything. But I wanted to, to present these this morning to, to you. And, and also to uh, parents, this is why it's so important to teach our children about the good news of the gospel. And also the flip side of it too, the eternalness that we can have for the consequences of our sin. We need to be teaching our children about how to prepare for the future of their life and how to serve God. You know, we blink, and before we know it, we have a 17-year-old. You know, um, our kids are growing so quickly that us parents have to be intentional on everything that we say and everything that we do. We only get one shot. And it's a, in a world that is so saturated with unscriptural marriages and such a high rate of divorce, we need to ground our kids in the truth of the Bible and the plan that God has for them in marriage. We thank you for listening to our podcast put on by the Church of Christ at 2215 Plans Road in Bakersfield. If you would like any additional information or you would like to receive a free Bible correspondence course by mail, please email us at info at churchofchristbakersfield.com. Our service times are Sundays at 1030 a.m. and 5 p.m. and Wednesdays at 730 p.m. Please make plans to join us. We would love for you to be our honored guest.